it doesn't always end up in orgasm. I would say 90% of the time, 80% of the, 80 to 90% of the time it does. But yeah, it's just a lot. sometimes they'll be crying, but there'll be no tears. Sometimes I'll just be like giggling. Like I'll literally, and probably even after my session, I'll be giggling for a good hour and a half afterwards. I'm like, I don't even know why I'm laughing. I'm just so joyous because my body's clear. It's a clear channel. Like we are meant to allow uncomfortable and comfortable emotions to literally pass through our body so we can experience the next one because we can't appreciate the good without the bad, right? That's the contrast. That's the beauty of life. You can't experience sadness if you haven't experienced happiness. Welcome to the 1000 Days Sober Podcast. My name is Lee Davey. I am not an alcoholic. I refuse to be anonymous. I am someone that doesn't drink alcohol. And I spend every waking moment of my life helping other people do the same. Like right now. So we are welcoming onto the show today, Kylie B. Kylie is an exotic empowerment coach with a mission to bring love, light and consciousness into the sex and adult entertainment industry industry not history she works mainly with women of the sex industry but she's also there to serve all men and all women irrespective of whether they work in the sex industry or not she wants to help them reconnect with their sexuality and sexual energy in an invigorated beautiful and powerful way to call in the life that they choose that sounds like something that i would like to get into kylie has been a sex worker for five years she started out as a lingerie a waitress and then she moved into the world of stripping and all to save up money for a dream holiday to South America. So what was first motivated by money is now motivated by a, her service to serve those who participate in this misunderstood industry. So she's trying to empower people who really don't understand this industry very well, but actually the people who are working in it, right, uh, to create a new empowering paradigm to relieve the guilt and shame, uh, replace it with beautiful, powerful energy. Uh, that created us all. And that's the reason I asked that Kylie to come on the show, actually, is because guilt and shame, you know, it is very, very present in our addictions and our relationships. We get stuck, unable to be the person we want to be, unable to do what we want to do, unable to think what we want to think, right, and create the life that we want, because we think the society is going to kind of disown us or not going to let us do what we want to do. And I want to put a fucking end to that. Like, I want us to really step into our power, step in, or as Natalie Kabanjian said, who was a previous guest, let your fucking freak flag fly, right? Like, stop doing what everybody else wants you to do, folks, including drinking alcohol. So that's why I got Kylie on it, because she can talk about the shame that is around this industry and how she overcame it and dealt with it. And now she goes to work every day and she feels okay, right? She feels absolutely empowered to make that choice, right? So... Kylie B. But before I hand you over to Kylie B, just a little reminder of what we're doing at 1000 Days Sober and how we can serve you. We have three ways that we can help you out. The first is to join our Strive Method for Addictions. It is a six-month personal coaching plan where you work with yours truly and the 1000 Days Sober coaching team uh, with an educational platform and the support system. That's a six-month-long program, but you get the support and the education minus the coaching for a full 1,000 days, okay? So that's a strive method for addictions. If you want to create a kick-ass relationship with yourself or with your significant other, then we're doing exactly the same thing, the strive method for relationships, but it's a relationship-focused course, not addiction, okay? Same method, personal coaching plan available uh, for six months with full support for 1,000 days. And finally, if you just want support and you want to join the strive support system and to get access to our online 
uh, meetups. We've got three a week, absolutely fantastic. We have so much fun. And our online uh, workshops and get involved in our Marco Polo groups and our WhatsApp groups, then that is available to you as well. If you want to do any of those things, then uh, head over to www.1000daysober.com and you'll see a pop-up there or something that will say, choose yourself. And then you will come on a call with me or another member of the 1000 Days uh, Sober team. And uh, we'll have a good chat for 30, 40 minutes to offer, uh, give you an offer of what we can do and see if we're a good fit to work together. Okay. If you're up for that, go for it. Without further ado, leave you in the capable hands of Kylie B. Kylie B. How's it going, Kylie? Hello. Hello. It's going really well. Thank you. How are you? I am absolutely fantastic. I had an amazing day today. Lots of good, great calls, helping a lot of people quit alcohol. Today's been a good day. You know, Beautiful. I got to say, today's been a good day. And even better that I get to go into the dusk, having a good conversation with yourself. So I don't really know a lot about you, Kylie. So tell mm-hmm. me a little bit about yourself. Tell, tell the people, I did a little intro, obviously, but just tell the people what it is that you do, who you are, mm-hmm. and how did you get to this point in your life in a, in a, in a short and sweet as way as you can. Yeah, no problem. So long story short, I uh, label myself as an exotic empowerment coach. Now, what that is, is I coach all humans um, navigating their sexuality. Um, At the moment, I'm actually concentrating on um, members of the adult entertainment industry because I myself am a stripper. And my journey started about six years ago. And I mean the number six because my accent is from New Zealand. So some people might go, what is she? it purely started, generally, I'll be honest, um, because of the money. Yeah. And I wasn't above like um, walking around in a bikini as it started off to make a little bit of extra money. So it really turned out that I could work half the amount of hours, double the amount of pay. And every time I used to go to the strippers, I used to get so excited. You know, like um, our bar was the last one to close on the Gold Coast. So we would just go, yeah, let's go to the strippers because we want to have a drink after work. And it was the only place that was open. And I would go to get my $50 bill, change it to fives, and I would just be sitting on stage just like tipping the girls. I wouldn't buy dances because I wasn't educated. I didn't know how the system worked. Yeah. And I was like, I could be up on that stage one day. And my best friend was like, no, no, no. I was like, watch me. And then a couple of years later, I'm there I am standing up on that stage. And I thought that I was going to be met with that kind of same mentality I had. You know, I had so much respect, so much just awe. And I was like, oh my gosh, it's just so beautiful what you guys do. And when I wasn't met with that same attitude, like I was met with being grabbed on the ass. I was met with, you know, what can I get for $10 in the bathroom? Just really degradating comments. And I I remember crying at the bottom of the shower floor, just going, what have I I done? What have I got myself into? And then fast forward a couple of years later, I started doing personal development because I noticed that I couldn't speak up. I couldn't tell people to just not touch my body. And it turned into me becoming a coach to support those other girls in the industry who could have been in similar situations because there were times, not that I wanted to end my life or anything, but I got in a really dark place because a part of me was just like, speak up, tell them not to touch you. Like it's okay to have a voice and use your like voice for a boundary. And I can safely say now, that's what I do and I help other people do the same and it's not just voicing your boundaries it's like your body is this beautiful temple and it gets to be respected and anytime that it feels uncomfortable you get to communicate that without making the other person wrong but just simply educated what stopped you from walking away from it because it, it feels it always for me it feels like uh, such a violation like 
somebody like we have a four-year-old daughter and she's always trying to get into my wife's top to have a bit of booby juice right and we're yeah. trying to teach her that like touching another person's body or you know going through that body but you know that boundary mm. it, it's, it's not something that we should be doing like and there should be some consequences to that so what stopped you from running away and well done for sticking around and helping other people to get through it but i'm interested what what kept you there yeah, interesting. I guess because I knew I was taking, res- I I was responsible for that. It was me that not saying anything. It wasn't the other person's like fault. I don't really believe in fault. I believe, you know, I don't believe in fault or blame. I believe in responsibility, right? Yeah. So I wasn't taking responsibility for speaking up for myself. And the more I kind of spoke up, the more empowered I felt. And then I was just, it's just that thought at the back of my mind going, how many other people are going through the exact same blockages that I'm currently going through if not worse you know um and it doesn't even necessarily have to mean the industry there are people that get sexually assaulted in just general hospitality industry work from like managers or just other co-staff it's just everyone can have challenges when it comes to really owning and speaking up for their boundaries and um using their voice in a really powerful way and in a non-reactive way you know like i had a guy in the weekend for example so we had this beautiful big um female strip show and it was so excited i loved it so much fun, so much entertainment. And a guy, when I walked past him, did a really sneaky, really grabby grab, like really sleazy. Mm. And I immediately turned around and I just stood in my power. I was like, who was it? And I looked at, there was only two guys and they both looked at each other going, oh, like their mum's telling them off. And they were like, oh, um, and they were both umming and ahhing. And one guy was looking at the other guy and I could tell it was him. I was like, was it you? And he goes, yes, it was me. I was like, I just need to let you know that you're not allowed to grab us without our consent. You need to ask first. And he goes, I'm sorry. And I said, thank you for your apology. I gave him a good kiss on the cheek and I walked away. But I didn't realize how many people were watching me. And I had a female come up to me. She was um, a, a client, a, just a member of the audience. She came up to me and goes, you handled that so beautifully. Like, well done. Mm. So you never know how many people are watching you and are actually using you as an example to kind of, feed of what they need i want to focus on what you said there and i want people to really listen to this because like this is a really extreme example of it and i think it's beautiful as you said you're not in the blame game you're in the 100 percent mm. responsibility game which mm. is something that i i'm always trying to promote to people if you want to be someone that doesn't drink alcohol if you want to step into your power in life you've really got to look at every situation and say how how did this happen to me how did i how did I um, create this? Um, how can I take 100% responsibility? Mm-hmm. Uh, think about this. There's a fucking guy grabbing Kylie's ass or her boobs or whatever. And it's so like fixed and ingrained in our societal structure that that guy is the guy that needs to change. Mm-hmm. And what Kylie did was something next level shit where she was like, no, 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 no. How am I allowing this to happen to me? Mm-hmm right? Let her land everybody. Like this is really important when it comes to stopping drinking alcohol or, or taking drugs or just like, uh, stopping your uh, husband from treating you like shit in the house. Stop Mm -hmm. dripping into victim mentality and blaming other people. Retake your power and own own up 100% responsibility. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, so when when you first got into the industry, you said you looked at them and they were all beautiful and stuff. When I grew up in the UK, you know, stripping is seen as a taboo thing, mm. right? So if you're a, if you're a stripper, then 
this is quite funny, actually. If you're a stripper, you're a slut. If you're a female, but mm-hmm. if you're a male stripper, you're pretty cool. Yeah, Work that yeah, one out. Yeah. And if you're a guy going to a strip joint who's single, fucking rock on. But if you go to a strip joint and you're married, then you're a pervert. So there's all this mm-hmm. kind of stereotype that we kind of grow into. You mm. must have been aware of that, I'm assuming, mm-hmm. when you looked at them and you thought they were beautiful. There's still this, uh, hang on a minute, there's this stereotype. How do you deal with the whole taboo subject? Yeah, good question. I guess I, to myself, I didn't see it as taboo. So like, I guess with my upbringing, me and my family, we openly spoke about sex and it wasn't something that we couldn't speak about. And so I didn't see it as something that, quote unquote wrong or taboo. And I've always liked being something, the analogy of like, I like being a salmon that swim, swims upstream. I like going against social norms. I like breaking, breaking those stigmas. Like I can be a stripper and I can be super spiritual. I can be a stripper and I can be a healer. I can be a stripper and I can be a coach. Like I don't wake up every morning with my eight inch pleaser heels, stripper heels and like, bam, I'm a stripper like 24 seven. It's a role that I play in my life. Yes. But the stigma and the, and the stereotypes, I guess it has, has been conjured for many different reasons. Um, I guess there's, you've got religion, you know, married men shouldn't be looking or admiring other women. And there's actually nothing wrong with it whatsoever. If anything, you would like the best thing for your husband to do if he's having having any marital problems is to come to a strip club, especially to the likes of me who is a coach and is really good at listening and just ask it like there's some need that's not getting met and he might not have the emotional capacity or uh, maturity to actually approach his wife. So he comes to a strip club to to do so. It's not cheating. And there's also going to versions of cheating. Everyone defines that in different ways, kind of going on a tangent, trying to keep to the stigma. But yeah, if anything, it's the best thing for them to do because it's a safe, I like to think of it as an adult playground. You come in, you admire the female anatomy, you have a conversation, you have a dance. A lot of the time, it's just talking. Like I'll say 70% of my dances, I hardly take my clothes off. But like I always, I always make sure that I do at least once during the dance because that's what they pay for. And I make sure that I'm giving the value that, you know, the pay for. But a lot of the time they say, don't take your clothes off. I just want to talk, especially with the likes of COVID where we've been social distancing ourselves and people are craving intimacy. Hmm. They want to be close. And it's just really interesting that there's all the stigma around it, yet it's the people that go into the environment that are labeling other people as wrong because they don't want to be known that they're actually stepping into that kind of same space you know like married men should be going to strip club why not there's there's absolutely nothing wrong that could be 100 percent healthy it's like it's the meaning that you give everything right well it's the uh it's the willingness to have an open mind on everything and to question everything so like yeah. it's the same with alcohol like um when somebody says i'm going to stop drinking alcohol everyone around them goes you fucking what like, is there something wrong with you? Like, you can't stop drinking alcohol. So the view, I can stop drinking alcohol, because you, you, you create this powerarchy. So there's an oppressive a group of people and, a, and, and the oppressed. And the oppressed, when you, you go to stop drinking alcohol, you know, the ones who don't drink. And the oppressors are the ones who drink. And uh, similarly, I imagine in the world of stripping, in the, the minds of a lot of people, they want to oppress the strippers because they're, the view of what a stripper is and what a stripper does has a certain value to it that they believe is right. And, and bizarrely enough, they probably have never even been in that scenario. 
you know? Mm. And I'll give you an example mm. how this works and we can talk about it actually, okay. is I read a book called Living Dolls, uh, The Return of Sexism by Natasha mm-hmm. Walter. Okay. And the reason I, I decided to read that book is I kept getting labeled like a sexist. So I'm like, I need to fucking learn more about this because here I am saying that I love women and appreciate women and I stand up for women, but I keep getting in the shit by talking about things like this, mm-hmm. right? And going places and pushing edges, which people don't want me to push, right? So mm-hmm. I read this book to see if I can learn more about it. And it, it turns out that it, it wasn't, to me, it was about, uh, she wrote a lot about what she deems to be a hyper-sexualized culture. And she interviewed a lot of people in the sex industry, but the, the theme coming back was one of shame. Like, I have to do this because of the money. I hate it. I don't want to do it. it uh, I'm degrading myself. I'm using drugs and alcohol to, as a result of it. These people have got no respect, et cetera, et cetera, you know? And then as I read that, automatically I'm getting this, this thing happens in my head where it's like all strippers hate their job. All mm. strippers feel abused. All strippers mm-hmm. feel shame, right? All strippers have daddy issues. <laughs> yeah, you're right. And then, and then I look at your social media feed and I'm like, holy shit, she really loves what she does. So mm-hmm. I, I want to focus on you love what you do, right? That's one mm-hmm. thing. And this, this belief, like what are you, what's, what's your thoughts around these beliefs that we, we create that are linked to yeah. shame and how devastating yeah. they can be for for people who, like, let's just say you want to make money, you want to have fun and you love dancing and you want to show your body mm-hmm. and you, that is what you, you do. The mm-hmm. shame is being thrust on you. All right, you've got to have the yeah. boundaries, but it's a dangerous game. Tell me, uh, talk a little yeah. bit about it. Yeah, that's an amazing question. Like a lot gets projected onto us, you know, and, and I still, still am around girls that have those beliefs. I can't, I don't have confidence unless I drink. I don't have this, I don't have that, I don't have that. So many limiting stuff. And I'm just like, yes, this is, I get to be here one I love doing what I do and mm. I get to serve these women. So slowly I'm just, you know, integrating my programs. But what I want to bring it back to is the power of sex and sexual energy. So like, just think about this for a second. Like, There is no higher frequency in, in the human body that we can feel than the peak of an orgasm, mm. right? And how good does that feel? Like bringing that energy into into that kind of space, it's really, really potent and can be quite overpowering. So I feel that shame kind of gets projected onto some, like onto the likes of myself and other sex workers because it's the most powerful form of energy that we can kind of conjure. And if people feel that they can't conjure that themselves, they see it as a threat. So they make the other person wrong, kind of like tall poppy syndrome almost, you know, like cut them back down to um, – everyone else's height so mm. that you all fit in. So if you're like kind of this big, amazing performer and is just completely embodied and sensualized and just, just does not give a fuck what anyone thinks, other people can see that as a threat. And you, when you focus that with sexual energy, it just 10Xs it. And like I was up on stage last night, like there was no one in the club. But when I feel like a little dip in my energy, I go up on stage and I just like imagine myself sitting in the seat and I get really just like I'm performing for me and no one else. And it's like filling my own cup. And next thing I know, I'm opening my eyes and the, and the seats are full and I'm getting tips here and there. <laughs> and it's just crazy because I've, I've completed my own needs. I don't need anyone else. I'm this perfect whole being who's just completely embodied in her sexuality and just loves what she does. And when that beams out, everyone just is drawn to it like moss to a flame. 
It's interesting that you say that because I remember going to Burning Man uh, about four or five years ago, maybe five years ago, something like that, and mm-hmm. going to this this dance tent. I'm mm-hmm. thinking, fuck, like everybody's naked or half naked. There's piercings and clitorises and all kinds of shit going on that like is really outside of my comfort zone. And yeah. I've got to dance. And uh, the DJ helped. She was like, close your eyes. Everybody close your eyes. And I closed my eyes. And when I dance and close my eyes, although I'm dancing, there is very definite a sexual energy interaction. I don't just dance. I feel like a mm. sexual energy. Obviously not when I'm downstairs with my daughter dancing, but if yeah. I'm in a club or a nightclub, it, I don't even have to be with anybody. There's mm-hmm. something about the beat and there's something about movement that activates yeah. some sort of sexual chi or something. Mm, 100%. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. There, I, I have like, I call them my slut songs because I get my inner slut on and I love it. There's nothing wrong with being a slut. Embrace your inner slut. If anything, be more, be more I slutty. It. I love having, it. Like, what, is, what, what is being a slut? Having sex? If, if, if having sex means that you're a slut, then I'm a slut. And I just, but so I, li- that, I, li- that I like that. Has, has no charge. <laughs> I like that. Like I had a, um, you know, I was, I was having a conversation with someone the other day and she said, I got some conscious cock last night. It's like, she was like, I got some conscious cock. I want more conscious cock. And I was thinking to myself, <laughs> wow, men have been saying stuff like that without the conscious, right? For, for like decades in my life. And everyone's been like, yeah, go on. But then when the woman dares to say that she wants some cock or she wants some ass or whatever, or like, mm-hmm. I want to fuck a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Suddenly there's this real kind of strong beliefs. It's like a conviction. It's almost like it's in your fucking DNA. It's like, yeah. that is wrong, right? That is wrong. And mm. it's not wrong. It's no. not. Why should it be any different for a woman to want to have lots of sex to a man want to have lots of sex? What's the difference? Mm-hmm. There is none. Literally, there's not. The, the difference is we have diff- different genitals. That's mm. literally the only difference. Is, That's like, it. Yeah. I don't know where the, where the beliefs come from, but like, I just choose not to. I, like, I, I see them, but I choose not to take them on. There's probably some unconscious stuff that's still within my subconscious I still get to continually work on because the work never really stops, right? Mm-hmm. Once we break through, there's another layer to beautifully <laughs> discover. Um, but yeah, just embracing like your, sexual, your sexuality is... is the most beautiful journey that you could go on. Like I had a client that told me she got to le- orgasm level 8,000. I shit you not. Orgasm level 8,000. Orgasm level 8,000. And I had another client yesterday who just moves this really stagnant energy and just the process that I took her through. And I take everyone through such a, just, just I, I cater to their needs. Not, not every session is the same. Like it's really catered to what they need in that, in that moment. And the beauty about self-pleasure. So what I do in my modality, it's called self-pleasure, but the difference between self-pleasure and masturbation is this. Masturbation is the intent to get to orgasm. Self-pleasure is allowing the body to communicate an emotion that it might have been not be able to communicate in a moment five minutes ago, five years ago, 10 years ago, that is stuck in the body energetically. So for example, um, you might've been at five years old to shut the hell up and not cry unless I give you something to cry about, right? So that crying emotion got pushed down and maybe stored somewhere in your body, let's say your heart. So when someone says something similar like that to you again, when you're 29 years old, that same emotion is going to get triggered. So when I take someone into a practice like that, I get them to really go into it, really go into the pain, really look at it, and it releases from their body. And just the shift that you just energetically see, first a smile, then a glow, and then they're just 
a lot of the time sit there with their eyes closed. They're like, I've never been so voiceless in all my life. Like there's just no ego. There's just. All right. Let me so ask you some a, questions on that then. So I, yep. I, I just come off a call with a client just before we jumped on here. And at the mm-hmm. end of it, she was like, that was fucking mind blowing. How can we book another session? Right. And all we did mm-hmm. was talk, right. What you're saying is some next level shit, right? You're not like just yeah. talking to him. So the girl who had the 8,000 X orgasm, yeah, explain yeah. to me what a session looks like with that woman. Okay, cool. So what I would generally do is um, I get them to just say, what's coming up for you right now? And we go into just what's in the present moment. And I'm like, what would you like? If this was the end of the call, what intention would you like to create as an outcome as if we'd already achieved it? Mm. And it would be like, I would just like to be really embodied in my sexuality. I was like, cool. What's getting in the way of that? So I find the block. I get into describing what part of the body that it's sitting in. We go through a lot of different processes. So the self-pleasure modality is, it deals with sound, breath, movement, and touch. So we drop out of the mind and we drop into the sensations because what the body tries to do when it feels something that's really uncomfortable that it might have felt in a previous past moment, it's going to assume the same outcome is going to happen. So it quickly cuts off the emotion that you're feeling, jumps to your mind, makes a story so that you don't feel the completeness of that emotion because it can be so uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. So what I do essentially is take them out of that, just get them to fully, fully, fully drop into the sensations and just clear it completely. So when, you, when you're doing this work, they are pleasuring themselves? They can do. So what it, what it do is the power in this work is being witnessed, right? So self-pleasure can come in the form of joy, tears, orgasm. It's whatever the body needs okay. to communicate. So I'm just, I'm just a typical man then just thinking that self-pleasure is just, I just had this vision of, of you using sexual energy and sexual pleasure and mm-hmm. orgasm in mm-hmm. order for them to find releases in their body. Yep. But you, there's much more to it than that. Yeah. Yeah. I and mean, it can end up in that. And a lot of the time for myself, when I'm in my own practices, it does end up ending in that because to transmute any like sticky energy that's sitting in, in my body, I generally orgasm it out because it's the quickest, highest, easiest way and most pleasurable. It doesn't have to be hard. It can actually be like processing your trauma and sticky energy can actually be like a lot of fun. So I'm just like, oh, another block. Right. I get to like, it doesn't always end up in orgasm. I would say 90% of the time, 80% of the, 80 to 90% of the time it does. But yeah, it's just a lot. sometimes they'll be crying, but there'll be no tears. Sometimes I'll just be like giggling. Like I'll literally, and probably even after my session, I'll be giggling for a good hour and a half afterwards. I'm like, I don't even know why I'm laughing. I'm just so joyous because my body's clear. It's a clear channel. Like we are meant to allow uncomfortable, uncomfortable emotions to literally pass through our body so we can experience the next one because we can't appreciate the good without the bad, right? That's the contrast. That's the beauty of life. You can't experience sadness if you haven't experienced happiness it brings up a really interesting question right because like it doesn't happen often because of my family situation because I'm, I'm living with two 70 year olds and a sleep of a four-year-old right but i am i'm not worried hang on there are times when i'll say to my wife i really want to i, I want to masturbate and what i'm hearing from you is masturbation is very different self-pleasure mm-hmm. and i can see that now but I don't think it's something that's kind of like in my conscious thought. So masturbation mm. to me is like a quick release, right? Yeah, but, but I, to orgasm. Yeah, yeah. So I'm, but I can't imagine me ever saying to my wife, I need an hour tonight and I need some privacy because I want to self-pleasure myself. Yet thinking about it logically, 
you should want to do that and you should be doing that. But how many people listening to this are in relationships where they even dare to talk about masturbation? Mm-hmm. Even I don't think the word masturbation. I, I don't think it's going to be high. <laughs> I don't think it's going to be no. high, right? Mm. And I'll share yeah. a story with you, right? I'm, I had to take a three-month vow to do something really challenging. So I decided mm-hmm. that I won't masturbate for three months. But when I'm around my wife, like I feel this intense biological urge to mm. procreate. And it's only happened in my 40s, right? I had blue balls for three days where I couldn't walk properly, right? Because I can't release that sexual energy. Mm. That's not, that's your body saying, wank off. Like get rid, get, you have to do something. You know what I mean? That's your body saying, do something with this energy. Mm -hmm. And if you don't have a partner, then masturbation is the only way. So that leads me to a question I'm interested in, in, in your response in this is, I don't watch porn anymore. And it's because of this belief system that some of the people who are in the industry are not there by choice. Mm -hmm. And I don't know which ones they are. So I don't want to be a part of it. And I just want to focus all my energy on my wife. So I don't, I don't watch it. Right. And I get a lot Mm -hmm. of people addicted to porn coming to me. What's your view on porn and porn use? Yeah. I'm very, very similar viewed to you. I myself, like I used to watch it every now and then. And then once I started getting educated, like what was it? A, a task that we got to do was actually go back in and watch porn because once I came up with that very similar belief, like, you know, I didn't know which ones wanted to be there by choice, which ones kind of got pulled into it when they actually kind of held there and maybe had money dangling over their head or were manipulated in kind of one way because sometimes I see some of the videos I'm like that's really degrading and that does make me feel good like it actually sits really like really grossly in my body and then there are other times where it's really beautiful and you can tell like oh this is the you can tell the context that they're coming from is like oh they actually they're enjoying their experience but I went on to I believe I think it might have been Pornhub yeah it was that website and it actually had sex education right and so when I clicked on that button it had like a porn video, but then it also had, if you have any sex issues, you can talk to a psychiatrist, but it was all very um, contradicting. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, it was really like, it was like a blatant porn video, but it was like how to healthy, how to ha- look at porn in a healthy way. But it didn't make sense that there was a real, that there was an imbalance. I was like, I think they're just putting that there so it looks good because a lot of people are developing this whole like porn is bad mm. and then maybe they're not as getting many views. And so they've got this sex ed kind of button, but it just, it doesn't make a lot of sense when I, when I looked at it, if that makes sense. Yeah, right, like there right. was just too much, too much contradicting information. Like there was nothing there to actually say, like it was more around sex ed, like having safe sex and stuff rather than porn itself. I mean, I, I think this, I, I actually think there's some merit in having some uh, sex ed porn education. Mm. Otherwise, we're only going to learn how to have sex by watching some two strangers having sex on you porn. And often it's going to be slapping yeah. of asses, strangling of throats, fucking all spitting yeah. on each other. It's like, you'd be oh like, God, a, yeah. you'd be like a 14, 15 year old, not knowing what you're doing. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I don't believe porn's bad. I worry though that, I mean, obviously this is my subjective view. This is me. Cause yeah. I don't, I don't talk to a lot of people. I don't talk to my mates about their porn use. Right. Mm-hmm. But for me, the way that I use porn 
I don't consider it really healthy because I, I use it like when I'm lonely. Like earlier on, everybody left the house and I and automatically the first thought that came in my head was, oh, I can masturbate, watch some porn. Yeah. I didn't because I got this, I'm on this vow. But you're talking mm-hmm. like what would have happened? I would have just it would the whole experience would have lasted a couple of minutes and I would have felt really bad. But mm-hmm. if I if I viewed porn as okay, I'm if I viewed it through the lens of pleasure in myself as opposed mm-hmm. to just reaching orgasm, then I think that is that is fine. Mm. I, I, I think that's yeah. fine, but I worry how many men, I'm just thinking mm. about men right now, how many men would use porn for that? Yeah. I, I can't imagine I they would. I don't know. Mm. It's, I can imagine it's really women like, would. It's the intent that you come from, isn't it? It's the intent and the place yeah. that you come from as to why you're doing the action. And it's going to determine the content of what comes out of that. So if you're kind of going into it, knowing that you kind of shouldn't, feeling a little bit bad, the result is going to be guilt and shame, right? Mm. And it's just going to, that's pretty much going to perpetuate every time you go into that kind of, setting really whether that be watching porn whether that be applying yourself to creating content how you feel going into that is going to be the quality of the content that comes out was there a moment in your early stripping career where you where shame came into the equation and how did you deal with it um i think the biggest shame part oh god there's so many examples i'm trying to think of like just one that comes off the top of my head i think I guess the first shameful moment was when someone had a $20 note and I just threw it on the ground. And to me, it was just immediate, like I degraded myself by picking that up and accepting it. And I went into the bathroom and I remember taking my clothes off because I started off as a skimpy, which in Australia, over in Western Australia is a um, bikini barmaid. So you start in a co- quite a covered costume mm-hmm. and then you go down to lingerie or bikini and you do a thing called a jug run. So you go around with a big empty beer jug and boys put notes in it. But this guy was just just a fuckhead mm. and didn't want to put it in the jug, put it on the ground purposely so I'd bend over and pick the note up off the floor. And I did. I felt immediate shame. I felt immediate degradation. But I, I created that. I didn't need to, but it was just, oh, it did. It was, that was, that was the moment that actually made me cry at the bottom of the shower. And I would, right. it was just like, why would someone like, like do that? I don't understand. I would never do that to someone else, whether that be a stripper or a barkeep or electric appliance installer or whatever you know i would just never treat someone or throw money on the floor for them to pick up it's it was a a moment of deep shame for me and then the next one would be like just getting grabbed on the ass in a really aggressive way and blaming myself for it it's like oh i kind of asked for it because i'm dressed like this you know stories like that used to come up that shit has definitely just kind of cleared now not kind of 100 percent gone but, how does yeah, that how it, does that happen though? This is like I know it's really I know I'm asking you a really challenging question, but like mm-hmm. when the guy throws that sh- the note on the floor and you're mm-hmm. thinking to yourself, how dare he fucking do that? Mm-hmm. How do you switch from how dare he do that, what a fucking fuckhead, to oh, I shouldn't have picked that up? And dealing mm-hmm. and dealing with and owning that and dealing with that. Mm-hmm. How how do you become shame free? Like, how what what did you do? What process did you go through? Yeah, interesting. So I had um, another instance where a very similar situation happened, where a client paid me money at a job, and he just threw the money on the counter, and I looked at it. And I was like, "It's happening again." I was like, "Okay, how can I get my power back?" I was like, "I said to him really kindly, I was like, love, would you mind passing that to me? Thank you." And he looked at me, and he's like oh, of course, he picked up the money and then passed it to me. I'm like, thank you so much. 
Mm. It was something as subtle and simple as asking them to pass, you know, the exchange of what you are using. In, in this case, it was money for, for a experience, a service, whichever, and actually getting them to physically pass it to me. That was taking my power back in a really, really powerful but subtle way. Is that the first time you remember taking your power or is there another time when you remember making a real uh, conscious decision? Yeah, it all started happening, you know, like, like I said, when I got into my personal development, the other instance would be where we have these coasters here in Australia and they buzz when your food is ready. Yeah, yeah. And this is when I first started standing up for my personal body and space. And a guy got one of those coasters that was buzzing and he thought it would be funny and he put it on my ass. And, you know, think it'd be, haha, like, because you're walking around half naked, like, mm-hmm. you know, you should be kind of up for this. Um, and I just immediately, because he came from behind, I couldn't see. So I'm try have, like, eyes at the back of my head. You, I'm super hyper aware when I'm in that state. Because let's face it, if a woman was in a normal, like, say, nightclub, you wouldn't naturally just go up to her and, uh, like, a random girl, especially, and have a coaster or anything or your hand and randomly go and grab her. Sure, it does happen, but generally you just... Only when you're drunk. Only when you're drunk, yeah. So when he put this coaster on my ass, I literally jumped out of my skin. I turned around. I did lose my power a little bit because I went a little bit overreactive, but the fact is that I was speaking up because the old me would have gone, ha, 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 walked Mm. off and been like, fuck you, fuck you, fuck you. Mm. And so I gently turned around. I was just like, I don't appreciate being touched from behind. You need to ask before you do something like that next time. But I said something a lot more powerful in the moment. In the moment, the words just just flow through, but it's all, always just like not coming from anger because if you come from anger, they're going to meet you with anger. Like I used to, when I started standing up for myself, I was like a baby chihuahua. Like, you know, just yap, 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 yap. Yeah, like yeah. just went overreactive. And then I had to find that sweet spot in the middle where they were educated. I came from a place of sternness, assertiveness, and power so that what I needed to communicate was clearly heard and received. There's something you said there that I've been thinking a lot about, reading a lot about, learning a lot about lately, is what is your power and how to mm. use it. And mm. in the book, The King, The Warrior, Magician, Lover, which is about archetypes of male masculinity, it divided between boy psychology and man psychology. And the kind of like the final kind of immature boy masculinity if you like this um mm-hmm. this archetype is the hero yeah. and and the hero is someone who's like fucking charge i can take on anyone i'm fucking loud violent i don't know my limitations i'm i, I take all the risks and all that kind of stuff mm-hmm. and that energy you have to kill the hero you have to kill the boy energy and it goes into mm-hmm. the male masculine energy of the warrior but the and the difference between the two is the hero is all about myself, like I'm going to fight for myself, my ego, etc., external validation, mm-hmm. where mm-hmm. the warrior is like, I'm fighting for a bigger purpose. So in your case, yeah. I want to help the sex industry deal with the shame mm-hmm. issues. It's a bigger fight. Yeah. It's not just about you. And yeah. in that moment, when you turn around and you said, I lost a little bit of my power, you know, mm-hmm. like what I want people to get out of this is the warrior, the mature masculine, which sounds like you're now kind of into that in this environment. Mm-hmm would have dealt with that in a, in a really controlled way, but the immature mm-hmm. masculinity of the hero kind of pops out and the chihuahua is <laughs> the hero, right? Yeah, so yeah, yeah. if you're listening to this, folks, particularly the men, but it's, you know, it's gender neutral, I guess, this energy. Yeah. But if you're going around shouting and screaming at people and you, you think you're a man, 
you know, you're getting drunk and you're fucking shouting and screaming, you're putting people, you ain't no man like that. That's boy energy. The man mm. is the guy, the man is the person who's like, you know, Hey, like Kylie said, this is my, my body. Do not touch mm. my fucking body. You know, yeah. like that is, I wanted to put that across. I think that's really important, mm. you know? Yeah. And it doesn't matter what you wear. Like if I decide to wear short skirts 24 seven, even when it's like minus four degrees outside, it is not a like written invitation for you to just come up and grab me. There is this word and it's consent and it's so, so important. And it can also be misconstrued. Like say for example, like when we have sex, right? It can be like, it can be a mood killer. Like me and my girlfriends have spoken about this every now and then. And it's not like every time you have sex with someone's like, do I have your consent? Right. Like you get the mood, you get the cues and everything like that. So it can, it can be really, we just got into a really deep discussion about this. It's just like, yeah, like there is consent. And then there's also body language consent, like grabbing someone's hand and then putting it on you and making them do certain motions, you know, that's kind of consent, but it's not verbal. So there's different versions of consent. So that opened a, a can of worms when we went into that conversation. Well, and one of the problems that we always have to face at 1000 Days Sober as well, like is if you add alcohol into the equation, then how does that affect consent? So like if two people mm. are together and they're both smashed, what, where the fuck's the consent? Like it cannot work. It cannot operate. So, mm. you know, how is alcohol prevalent in the sex industry? And, and is it a real issue in terms of like, you know, a date rape drug or and that kind of stuff? Yeah, I would, I would definitely agree with that. Um, alcohol is a huge, like, because, well, what I'm doing at the moment, I, I, I do everything. So I go, I do bikini waitressing, I do strip club work, I do R-rated and X-rated shows, just the whole shebang. And particularly in the, in the strip club scene, you know, it's, it's pretty much the girlfriend experience. So a client comes in, girls approach, they, they, we call it the hustle. I love the word hustle now, I used to hate it. But I, I like to think of hustle as hunting and it's fun and, you know, I'm, I'm going in for my kill and or just like, you know, you, you got to make a game out of it. You've got to make it fun. And the yeah. client loves to be chased. Like everyone loves the the, 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 the thrill of the chase. Like, like if it's too easy, it's not going to be appealing. You've got to make it a little bit difficult. I love the hustle. I love learning different techniques. I love watching different women do it. But part of that process is generally going, can I buy your drink? Right. And generally like, if I've seen it as many times as well when girls say, because there's a lot of girls that don't drink alcohol because they choose not to, and it's their choice and it's amazing. But I see the shift in clients' faces when they say, oh, no, thank you, I'm not drinking. They automatically feel judged because they're drinking and they don't feel accepted. Like, oh, if you're not drinking, you're either frigid, not fun, all these different things kind of come up and I can see it in their face. Or so they, they won't want to pick me as a, they won't want to pick me yeah. because I'm drinking. That could be yeah. another one as well, I guess. Yep. Yeah. 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 100%. So that, that definitely comes up. So, a lot of the time, I'll always have my own drink in my hand if I'm drinking soda water. I'll, I'll admit, I do drink at work at times. I made a post the other day on my Instagram where the first time in my um, career that I got sent home because I was intoxicated. Yeah, right. And it, there was a yeah, it was a, there was a lot of shame that came up in that instance because that in the narrative was going, you know, how can you call yourself a leader if you get sent home drunk? And at the same time, that, that that's what makes me a leader. Like I can t- I can help them bounce back from that really I bounced back back from that within a day I was like I'd laughed at myself at the end of it I was a, I was a complete emotional mess and just cried myself to sleep pretty much after that but then the next day I'm like I just laughed at it it's like that's so funny like I get to guide someone through that if they need support next time because I know what it would feel like you know I walked into literally 
I was like, I was like Bambi. I didn't think I was, I thought I was, I thought I was smooth shit. Like, you know, strutting, like I'm like, I'm fine. I'm good. And because I had been sitting down for an extended amount of time and doing dancing, cause so I was perspiring and not needing to go to the bathroom. The alcohol just hit me when I stood up. And mm. so I was like Bambi walking down the hallway, trying right, to just right. compose, compose herself. And then I walked into two stools, made a big scene. And the manager's got just the neck cut off with the hand gesture and goes, you go home. And I was like, no, I've never been sent home before. What do you mean go home? And so I tried to sneak in the corner with a glass of water and sober myself up. Like I was hiding from him. And he's like, what are you doing? And I said, go home. And I was like, I don't want to. I've never been sent home. And my poor little ego was so bruised. But it was such a big gift at the same time because I chose to see what I could learn from it. And you gave that gift to other people by writing about it and talking about yeah. it and saying, hey, I felt, I felt, I did this, I felt ashamed. And it allows people who've been in a similar spot to feel seen. When I, I stopped drinking 10 years ago, and I think three years into it, I drank when my wife left me. And then, and I felt incredible shame that I did that. But mm-hmm. then I was able to go, yeah, I did it. And I learned from it. And yeah. who's keeping fucking score, right? Like, I don't drink now. It's been like seven, eight years that phase of life really helped me. It helped me grow in many, many yeah. ways. And that incident mm-hmm. that you had the other day will help you grow in many other ways and you'll help other people to do that. So yeah, yeah. I, when I read that, I was like, oh, that was really nice that is. So I want to mm. say well done in, on that. Thank you. Um, yeah. The other thing, I was reading your Q&A and you said that uh, someone asked the question, what do you think of men? Has your, has your view of men changed since you've been in the industry? And you mm. were so glowing about men. And I was thinking to myself, holy shit, I have this vision. Because I've been in strip clubs myself, like, you know, like, and we're fucking animals. Mm-hmm. And, and the ones that I've been in, like, and, and then I think to myself, how, how can there be any other answer than no men are just fucking sleazy pricks, right? But you didn't say that. <laughs> talk talk no. about that. Yeah, no. So my view on men did not change because of the industry. If anything, it helped me strengthen their them being okay with coming into the industry and just educating them and how to be around like again consent um appropriate places to touch and for them to just be able to request anything just so long as they're coming from a place of curiosity and just like hey i'd really like to ask this question and also educating the women and the men strippers as well but i generally am working with female strippers at the moment is to not react to their reaction, right? So a lot of the time I used to get asked um, when I first started stripping, oh, do you escort? Do you do this? And so many girls would just shame the fuck out of the guys for even asking that question where if you just kept it really neutral and that's where that belief can come from, I guess, that all men are sleazebags or all men are like just, all they want to do is fuck or all they want to do is fuck a stripper, fill in the blank. The shame gets created from their reaction. So like, and I did this, I can totally put my hand on my heart and be honest and say I've done that before I was like don't fucking ask me that question that's so disgusting why would you ask me I'm not an escort Mm. and what I actually essentially was doing was disempowering those women and men who chose that as a career so that's why I was like wow that's when everything shifted like my love for men just grew because they have needs and sometimes they're sexual sometimes they're emotional and they're allowed to have those because they're fucking human and so this industry has just made me love them more because I just want to let them know that what they're doing is okay so long as they're coming from a healthy place. Yeah, I I I love the way you said that we're all human. Like mm. something something's happened to me in the last couple of years where I've 
really gone inside myself and been really okay with so-called imperfections and accepting that it's part of the human condition. If I have like a thought of wanting to have sex with another woman or looking at another woman's body and thinking it's beautiful, I can very definitely divorce that from my love for my wife. And I'm, I'm cool with that. And I would be cool if my wife felt the same thing about another guy, because I would just say to myself, <laughs> knowing how I feel and, and the way that I look at other women, for me, in my subjective view, it's, not, it's nigh on like 0.0001% that we were supposed mm-hmm. to be monogamous from the moment we're into a relationship. To me, it, it, it's the romantic romanticism notion that we should be mm. like a, but why would we have all these urges? Like it, to me, it, it doesn't make sense. So, you know, I'm the guy who's like, okay, I, I love my wife and she wants a monogamous mm-hmm. relationship. So that is what we'll, that's what we'll have. Right. But for me, if like I wasn't in a relationship, the way that I would approach sex would be very different to the way that I approach love. I got to be honest. Mm-hmm. I would, I would have no problem hiring sex workers to have sex with them, prostitutes, mm-hmm. I, I, would, I would have zero problem with it. If everything was mm-hmm. safe, everything was healthy, and, and mm-hmm. I wanted to just have sex, like I want to watch a football, or I want to play pool, or I want to play darts, and, and, yeah. and the safe, I, I'd have no problem doing that. And, and mm-hmm. that's not love. It doesn't have to come from a place of like desperate need. It's just, I'm a human being who wants to have sex. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And that's okay. we, don't have, we don't have enough of this talk because people are afraid to talk about it. Mm. Because as you just said, and I'm going to be very controversial here, if men mm-hmm. said what was really on their mind, the women in their lives would shame the fuck out of them. Yeah. I really yeah. believe that. Sorry, everybody yeah. listening, but I think it's true. <laughs> yeah. So it's all about how we hold ourselves in those kind of moments. So, I mean, there are moments where I do get quite assertive because the, like, it depends on the situation and how it's approached, right? So say if it's a, like a sly grab or a really like aggressive grab, I'll be really like, don't fucking touch me. Like I had to be really assertive and then I'll bring it back down and be like, I don't appreciate that. And then I lower my toes. I have to be really like, I can't be just like, Hey, who was that? Like if it's really aggressive, I do have to be quite assertive, but I'll make sure that I don't just get to the blind anger stage. If that makes sense. Mm. Um, stay in your warrior energy. Yeah. Stay, it's really, yeah. It's staying that centered warrior, warrior energy because like the way that I be proactive in my reaction you know, will determine how this man shows up again if the same instance happens, right? And and if I educate him in a really powerful way, and it, the message does get through, one, he doesn't get shamed, so he's not going to be made wrong, he's just going to be educated. He might see another man doing something very similar and be like, hey, bro, I just, can I pull you to the side? Like, no, that's not okay. Do you know what I mean? And then there's it's that ripple, right? So it starts with one man, and how many other men is that going to actually affect to create change in our world? My only problem with this picture right because mm-hmm. i because i can see what a wonderful educational process that would be the guy could even go mm. home and you could change his relationship with his wife right but the mm. only problem i see with this and i'm a little bit biased i guess is That's in nice. my experience of going to strip clubs 99.9 percent of the men are fucking wankered like they're off their tits they go in there at the end of the night they're smashed fucking drunk and every strip joint i've been in uh, the, the 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 stripper has always said to me, "Hey, here are the rules, right? No touching. Got to keep your distance. Your hands have got to be underneath underneath your ass. Whatever. Like there mm-hmm. are rules. 
But if you're drunk, like all of that is just fucking going out of the window. It's like, out the window, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. So do you, I'm, I'm assuming you get a lot of, I'm asking, do you get a lot of drunk men as opposed to sober men? Yeah, yeah. Um, and at the same time, a lot of them, like I don't get them to sit on their hands. They're not children. Mm. Sometimes they sit on their own hands because they feel like children. <laughs> like that's them doing their own actions. Like they, they're like, I have to actually sit on my hands right now. I had a client last night that did that. He's like, I had to sit on my hands because I have so many primal urges to want to grab places that I'm not allowed to. Yeah. I'm like, and I, I humor them. I'm just like, well, if you could, where would you? So I kind of channel that energy into like to them expressing. I'm just, they're like here. And so what I would do is I would touch myself in the regions that they would want to. Mm-hmm. And then they're like, oh, that's so cool. And I'll do it in a really beautiful, sultry, sexy way. And they're like, that was an amazing experience, you know, like taking a button and not making them wrong for their primal urges. I'm like, yeah, and you're allowed to feel like that. But thank you so much for not acting on them, you know, like, but if you could, where would you? And then I just take the attention away from them wanting to, to me doing it for them. It's, it's yeah. just like, like that. I told you, like I, I was on a coaching call earlier on before we come on. And then the, the woman said to me after it, like, it was rock star. I loved it. You were great. What a great coach. I want to work with you again. And, and I went away from that feeling a sense of pride. I was like, wow, like I feel like I've really provided value for this person. And imagine mm-hmm. like when you're stripping and there's somebody there and you're dancing for them and then you go away, you have the same feeling of pride, right? Like I, I just did a, I just, I just provided value for that person. Mm-hmm. And I guess we forget that with this, yeah. you know, the, the, the taboos and everything that's going on from the outside mm-hmm. in. With the, with the people that you work with and you help, um, what are the main issues you come, you're coming across in terms of sexual frustration or sexual blockages or problems? What's coming up for you mm-hmm. that you're noticing? There's not a common theme at the moment. Everything is varying. It varies from wanting to up-level their organs. So they might be able to orgasm on their own, but they find it challenging when they're with a partner. They may have some sexual trauma. I don't particularly go into the trauma. I go into the sensations of it. So because I'm not trained in trauma yet, I'm actually stepping into that next. So really excited about stepping into that. But um, there's there's no real theme at the moment. Everyone has just such different needs, which is why the self-pleasure modality is so powerful because it caters to every single need because mm. we had this expression in personal development, right? Everything touches everything. And we also say in, in this realm, how you show up in the bedroom is how you show up to life. So I'm pretty proud of myself. I'm just going to be a little bit cocky for a moment. I'm like, sweet. I, I'm, I'm, I'm doing well. <laughs> <laughs> I like, I like that. Um, how you show up in the bedroom is how you show up in life. Yeah. I remember my, my wife saying to me, you need to fucking slow down everything you do. It's just a fucking hundred mile an hour. You eat too fast. You walk too fast. You fuck too fast. <laughs> I'm just like, oh. <laughs> oh my God. And it is, it's, it's um, like sex. It can be a really good kind of barometer about what's going on in your life. It's like, am I, am I truly present in this moment while we're having sex with my wife? Yeah. Or am I just thinking about getting to the orgasm? Like, mm-hmm. and, and if, I, if I'm like this in the bedroom, Am I like that when I'm with my daughter? Like, am I not, am I thinking about what's beyond my daughter and not being present with her? Am I like that when mm. I'm with my mom? Am I, am I like that when I'm coaching? Am I like that when mm-hmm. I'm with Kylie doing a podcast? Am I, am I present for Kyla or am I thinking what's going to happen after we, it's just, it's in everything, right? Like, it is. Uh, well, Kylie, I just want to say thank you for coming on. Thank you for what you do. I think, mm. um, given the industry that you, work in and 
I, I am particularly worried about men and alcohol in particular and their, yeah. the patriarchy and the way they've been grown, raised and how they treat women. So um, actually standing up and being a service to other people who are likely to go through all kinds of shame and guilt, funnily enough, from people who probably haven't even been in a strip joint. I just want to honor you and say thank you very much for the work you do. And I think it's really important and uh, keep it up, you know? Yeah. Thank you so much for having me and just receive all this juicy just acknowledgements and I'm just letting really that sit in my body because I'm like fuck yeah I am I am making a difference like I've already made a huge difference and yeah. I continue to and even on those hard days where I don't feel like sometimes there are days where I feel like giving up and then I just get that tap on the shoulder it's like this push and this nudge it's like you've come too far and you're fucking gross to give up now there is someone that needs to hear your voice mm. there's someone that needs to hear your message there is someone sitting at the bottom of that shower floor also crying because yeah. they're struggling to speak for themselves you come if, you, if you want to learn more about Kylie B, get over to www.1000daysober.com. This podcast page, there will be a specific page for Kylie and you'll be able to get all the links to her work. Uh, and uh, yeah, if you've got some problems in the bedroom department and you've got some <laughs> problem with your own kind of personal sexuality mm-hmm. or whatever, check her out and yeah. work with her, okay? Kylie, thanks mm-hmm. for joining us. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you so much. Just another reminder, folks, that if you want to work with Lee Davey, that's me, and the rest of the 1000 Days Sober coaching team, then get over to www.1000daysober.com and book yourself a Choose Yourself call with me or a member of the 1000 Days Sober team so we can see if you're a good fit to take the Strive Method for Addictions course, the Strive Method for Relationships course, or just join the Strive support team. And If you're feeling in a really, really serving mood, please rank and rate our podcast at whatever podcast platform you do or spread the word around social media and tell people to come and listen to us. Thank you very much. Love you all. Bye.